Hi, I'm Charles Feldman. And my name is Ela Edgar. And we're here for Trust on Purpose. Which is a podcast that addresses trust in its many forms and how to build stronger trust, become really effective trust builders, whether you're a leader or an individual contributor or anything in between. So let's dig into today's topic, which came to me from someone in a seminar that I was a guest speaker at. And the question that a woman raised was, she said, I'm a new team leader. I have just inherited a team that somebody else led. And the team did not trust that former leader. And now I'm in a position where they look at me as the leader and they're not sure they can trust me. And so in essence, the name that I gave that situation, which many of you may be familiar with if you've been in the same circumstance, is sort of an inherited distrust. So this woman inherited the distrust that the former leader had created, not only between the team members and the former leader, but also to some degree between the team members themselves, who in the process of trying to work in this team where the leader was not trustworthy, also ended up distrusting each other to some degree. So there is a situation of inherited distrust and what can we do about it? So let's just kind of explore this a little bit. First of all, Ela, have you ever had this happen or have you ever had clients had this happen? A hundred percent, yes. But before I go there, can we go back because I'm curious about something. This individual, how did she make the assessment that there was inherited distrust? So did her team members actually say, we didn't trust our former team leader? Or did she observe behaviors that led her to that assessment? So I'm just curious about what led her to that assessment. Great question. Yes. And I believe, although the team members themselves didn't directly tell her, she observed silence, people not contributing, people not speaking up. She observed that people seemed to be unwilling to share information with her much. She observed, she did say also that she said it was like a funeral parlor in team meetings, you know, almost. I said, whoa. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's not good. Wow. But she also was sort of forewarned by her boss that this was something of the situation. So she knew from two sources. One is she observed what was going on in the team. Actually, what she said was there was kind of a false camaraderie. When the team would first come together for a meeting, people would be kind of, you know, chatting with each other and making little humorous comments and whatever. But it seemed a bit false, kind of along the lines of cordial hypocrisy. And in fact, I brought up the term and she kind of looked and went, yeah. So this is what she was noticing, is that people would kind of talk to each other on a surface level. But once they got into any kind of work together, issue together, they didn't really interact or have much to say. A few people did, but then there were several people that were just silent. And then there was also a little bit of, what did she say specifically? A couple of people seemed to really discount or discredit 
other people on the team, which said to me there was low psychological safety in this team. I think as I'm listening to you share this, I'm so grateful that this leader paid attention and actually noticed these things. So yes, maybe some verbal feedback about this may be happening, but also that she sat still or dialed up her listening long enough to see the silence or the cordial hypocrisy or the unwillingness to share. Just kudos to her for paying attention and being curious about like what could actually be going on here. Yes, I would say she did a good job of listening and then asking the question, mm-hmm. what can I do? Yeah, This is a difficult situation. I haven't faced it before. How do I deal with this? So I know that I've been in that situation one or two times in my life and in my career in different ways. And you said that you were as well. So what, in your recollection, what were you able to do? How did that begin to shift or did it? One of the examples I'm thinking of was long before I ever explored or had resources around what trust was and wasn't. And so I did bump into some pretty big issues, pretty big situations where I felt completely blindsided or punched in the gut by behaviors of leaders. And so my reaction would be to just shut down. I didn't know how to do anything else. And in a work environment, that was really hard. People could, I mean, you, you know me quite well, people could visibly see and feel that I had put a wall up. And as I, you know, I just said earlier about, I'm so grateful that this leader is actually paying attention. The leaders at that time in my life didn't. So the wall was up and I just nose down, ass up, got my job done and nothing else. So it affected my discretionary effort. It impacted how I collaborated up sideways to my peers. I was the same. But the leaders at that point really, they never asked me about it. We never had conversations about it. And I certainly didn't have the language at that point to do something differently. Yeah. So eventually I left that organization. Yeah, which I think is what happens often is the good people don't feel like they know how to deal with it. And the best way is just to find a better place, a better organization to be in. I've actually experienced this too. And certainly earlier in my career, in my life, when I had no tools to deal with it, didn't know what to do, kind of floundered around as a team leader coming into a situation like this, kind of floundered around and probably made more of a mess even than existed before in maybe one or two situations. Now, however, when I encounter this, and I have as a team coach and someone who does trust workshops with teams that are kind of in this boat or coach team leaders who are leading a team like this, the first thing that they need to do is to be able to initiate a conversation. They need to build, as a team leader, they need to build trust with the people on the team. And they also need to create an environment in which the team members themselves can build or rebuild trust with each other. And there's an elephant in the room and they have to be able to address it fairly directly. Otherwise, it's going to just sit there in the middle of the table and continue to wreak havoc. Okay, now I have a visual. 
of a big pink elephant sitting in the middle of a boardroom table. Thank you for that. And everybody's like trying to look around it and pretend it's not there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just sit back and look at yeah. it. And, you know, it blocks all communication. So I think really where I try to move my, if it's a leader that I'm working with individually, move that leader to, and it doesn't really take much because they're frustrated. They want to build trust. They want to make this team work. They just don't necessarily have the tools. So the starting point is to have conversations. Be direct about, here's the elephant. <laughs> Describe it. Let's talk about this. Hey, this is distrust. And this is something that, you know, okay, for the sake of what do we need to change the situation? For the sake of our team actually performing well, getting results, for the sake of our own well-being, because this is very uncomfortable. I imagine you know, it is for me and I imagine it is for most of you. So what is it that we need to address both you with me? How do I need to be? How do I need to behave in order to gain your trust? And what do we need to do together as a team to trust each other? What are the conversations that need to happen? And this is where the four assessment domains that we all often talk about really can come into play. So what is it in being able to talk about the four assessment domains? And then what is it in each one of them that we can do to build stronger trust? What is it that I, as your team leader, need to do to gain your trust in each of these domains? And, you know, it may be that you start with the simpler stuff, the reliability and competence, especially if it's a team of engineers, perhaps, or a mm -hmm. team of people whose cultural background focuses on those two actions, that's sort of the task end of trust. Mm -hmm. Can I trust you to do the task? You're the team leader. What are the tasks of a team leader? And what do you need to see from me in order to say I'm trustworthy there? I really love that you pointed to that because I could see how potentially a group of highly technical where competency and accountability is really important. What I'm also thinking about in the back of my head is one of my sisters who is very relationship-based. And so I could see in her environment wanting to really start from that place of care, that the conversation and how do we show care to each other. So I think leaders that are potentially stepping into a conversation like this, where there's inherited distrust, that it would be worth some reflection about what do I know about my team and what would best help serve the conversation that I really want to have. Yes. And notice that even bringing the subject up sort of says, I care. I care about this. I care about you and your well-being, your sense of well-being, and our collective capacity to achieve the results that we're wanting to achieve. So there is a little bit of a demonstration of care, and as long as we're sincere about that, sincerity, even in bringing it up and saying, mm -hmm. okay, what are the things? But it is really a conversation. It may be a combination of conversations with the whole team and conversations with the individual team members. It may start with conversations with the individual team members. Okay, Ila, you know, 
What's your take on this? What do you see going on here? And what I'd like to hear you is what you think would be constructive to do rather than pointing you at, okay, what are all the things you see wrong with the team? What are some things that would be constructive here? And then I do the same with each of the other team members. Or it may be, depending on the leader, depending on their ability to step into this kind of conversation, it may be more appropriate and work better to do it with the whole team. Step into it and say, I would like us to take some time to have a conversation as a team about this. <laughs> and I know we're really busy. We've got all these things that we're being asked to do. It's really stressful. And our team is not performing well. That's sort of the bottom line. We want to raise that performance. And to do so, we need to trust each other. You need to trust me. So we need to get that trust built. And you need to trust each other. So how do we do that? How do we do that? And again, going back to the four domains mm -hmm. and literally describing those domains and saying, we trust each other in these different ways and the behaviors associated with each of these four domains. So we can take them one at a time. Trust isn't just one big thing. This is where I think it can get a little bit tricky in some of the teams that I've observed about, you know, what are the behaviors that we show in order to have trust in each of the domains. And I'm just making this one up. So competency, well, we communicate. We're really good communicators. What? I don't know what that means. So what are the specific behaviors? Or reliability, right? We're gonna deliver on our promises. That's excellent. How are you gonna do that? What are the specific behaviors? What does that actually look like? So A, we know when we've done it, and B, we know when we haven't and that we care about each other enough and care about building this trust that we actually have conversations and give feedback about, Charles, you met that deadline. I know you had so much on your plate. That was excellent. That's really helping us build trust and accountability and reliability. Or Charles, you said you'd meet this deadline. You haven't. What's going on? Do you need some support? Yeah. And that last piece of that, do you need some support, is I think crucial making it okay to get support when you need it. Some people, it, it may take a while. You may need to ask that question a few times because, of course, often we, especially in the U.S. and Canada to some degree as well, don't want to admit that we need support. We think we are supposed to be able to do it all ourselves, and that's just not feasible. This is a complex kind of situation, or I will, I'll say complicated, not complex. I think there's a, a solution that is in the form of different conversations that can be had that can begin to build this trust. But I think part of it is naming the situation. We're not doing well. And I'm not here to blame anyone. What I am here to do is change that. Let's start with, do we really want to be a high-performing team? Is that important to us? And most people are going to at least look like they agree with that, that they want to be a high-performing team. And some people really will genuinely say, yes, I'm going to be part of a high-performing team. I was sharing in the conversation before the conversation that I spent some time reading a book yesterday. This is a very good book. And so here's one of the things that, as you said, being part of a high-performance team. You know what? Yeah, I want to be on a rock star team. But does that mean that I'm working 
Like, what does that actually mean? Yeah. There's an organization I work with right now that being a high performer and being on a high performance team in that organization means you work your ass off. You work 10, 12 hour days, you work weekends and you suck it up, but the bonus you get is unbelievable. And so that's your reward. And so if that's the high performance team, I'm out. That, that just would not be for me. And so I think it's really important to declare what does a high performing team look like? And is this what you also want? In this context, yeah. here's what high performing team means. And just being really clear about that standard. It doesn't mean that we're going to deplete you, burn you out, and you come out the other side with an empty tank. I think really important to define what does high-performing team look like. Define and agree on. What does it mean? What is it we want to be? Yeah, yeah. And what does that actually look like, sound like, feel like? Yeah. Because high-performing team can mean different things in different situations to different people. Absolutely. High-performing team may mean that we get our stuff done, we collaborate, we celebrate, we work hard, and then on Friday afternoon, <laughs> we're done. Yeah. The other thing, and this is, I think this is being influenced by the work that I do up north. And so I get to work with a, a bunch of coaches and behavioralists. And so they're really, really focused on what are the behaviors. So if I'm going to go into, as a leader who has inherited distrust, I may not say we're not performing well. I might say something like, here are the data points that I see. Help me understand what's contributing to these data points because I want to hear the bigger context about what's actually going on before I start making assessments and assumptions that may or may not be true. Yeah. I'd start with something about, here's some data points. I'm bringing myself up to speed on this team. Help me understand what these mean. What else is going on here? What's the context for me to know about? Yeah. And I think in some instances, that feedback, in some instances that I've encountered as a coach working with the team, that feedback has already been delivered. In other words, the team leader's boss or others have been very clear. You're not delivering on your commitments. What you deliver isn't up to par. Those kinds of things. So that's there already. And so having the conversation out, here it is, here's what we know. Mm -hmm. Are there other data points that would be relevant here? Perhaps that's just these people's perspective yeah. and maybe there's other stakeholders that see us differently. Now, that's good to know also. Yeah. So being clear about what not performing well means and then what's the context, like you said, what do you think? What do you guys think? And is this how we want to be? <laughs> What is it that we do want to be? How do we want to be as a team? And how do we want others to perceive us as a team? I want to go back to this idea of the new team leader who is inheriting distrust of a team leader, sort of the role. The previous team leader had left a legacy of distrust of team leader. Many of the people on the team, I'm guessing, I may be wrong, but uh, many of the people on the team, I think, probably have been on other teams where there was trust. They did trust the leader. 
they did trust each other more. Or alternately, they may never have had that experience. But I think part of the conversation is what would that be like and what would our behavior with each other need to be in order for that to be the case? So how would we, in essence, really where I'm going is team agreements. And if you focus around trust and trust building, that will help a lot. But there are other pieces of team agreements besides just those that influence trust. And so whether it's a leader doing it themselves or bringing in a coach for the team, one of the early conversations is, what are our agreements with each other that will allow us to really work effectively together, to treat each other well? to collaborate, to communicate, to do the things we need to do to get what others are expecting us to do done, to deliver on our charter. Oh, and by the way, what is our charter? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that, yeah. Yeah, going back to that one really as a starting point, what is our charter? What is it that we exist as a team to do? Which is not always clear Uh to anybody, including the team leader. So there may need to also be some work, some communication, some question asking on the part of the team leader to their boss, to other senior leadership within the organization. What is it that you really expect from this team? In fact, I'm involved with a client team right now that is getting mixed signals about that Mm -hmm. from different people that are stakeholders for them. And it's really hard to figure out what they need to do. So they've gone ahead and done the work or they're beginning to do the work around how do we want to be with each other just to do whatever it is that we think we're supposed to be doing. But also we need to, at some point, address this team charter issue. Yeah. Which I think is something that can also contribute to mistrust of the leader, whether it's inherited or actually this is what's happening right now. I'm thinking of an organization I'm working with that absolutely everything is a priority. Everything is. And in smaller group conversations, I hear people saying, we need help prioritizing. We can't do this and 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 be effective and do it well. But our leader isn't helping and their leader isn't helping so that we can focus on where we need to put our focus. Yeah. And that's a larger organizational issue. Huge. Yeah. That the team and the team leader may be able to influence by raising the question or, you know, initiating the conversation, but they may not always get all that they need out of that conversation or Mm -hmm. series of conversations. So one of the things that I learned this from a colleague a long time ago, and I'll put it in a slightly different way, different terminology. She used to talk about the story of the organization. What's the organization's story? And what does that story mean to them? One of the things that she would tell teams that she worked with and leaders that she worked with was, if you are not getting a clear, coherent story from leadership, then it's up to you to make up your own story, the story that works for you until that situation changes. So essentially, if you're not getting a clear 
direction about what your charter is, what you're supposed to be doing, then you figure out for yourselves what you think you need to do, what you think you need to deliver as best you can through conversations with various stakeholders and go forward with that until you get something more concrete. A bit of a risky, in some ways, Mm -hmm. potentially risky process, but at the same time, something happens Mm -hmm. rather than confusion and misunderstanding and miscommunication Mm -hmm. and so on. And then communicating that, of course, to whoever the stakeholders are. Here's what we think we're here to do. Here's what we're going to proceed to do until we hear differently. I'm going to have to chew on that one a little bit because I'm now like going through each of the organizations that I work with and wondering what stories I would hear. Yeah, this is really cool. I need to chew on this one. Yeah, this particular colleague, coach, brilliant person, really did focus on and does still when she works, focus on the story. Because as she puts it, human beings live in stories. So that's her way of talking about things like Mm -hmm. team charters, but also things like culture and identity and who we think we are and what we think we're really about. So that's another way to think about it is if you're getting unclear, conflicting information is to decide for yourself as a team, yourselves as a team. Mm -hmm. But once that's done, once you've kind of decided on that, you still have to work together to, to get there. Then the conversations about agreements, how do we want to be together? What's important for us to, what behaviors will help us build trust in each of the four domains? What behaviors could potentially damage trust among us in each of the four domains so that we can try and avoid those? What happens? What do we want to happen when somebody transgresses, Mm -hmm. when somebody behaves in such a way that they're damaging trust, that they're making things more difficult for the other team members and so on. How does that get addressed so that everybody not only knows what the sort of the rules are, if you will, that they want to live by, but also how to deal with, what's our expectation about how to deal with it when Mm -hmm. somebody, as all human beings do from time to time, misses the mark? Mm -hmm. This process, these conversations, you know, this isn't a one and done. This is an ongoing, regular development of building this trust within the team. One of the important pieces is to acknowledge the progress being made. And so, yes, we will bump, we will transgress, we will do things. But when we come from a place of care, most important place to come from, I see that this happened. Charles, I know that you're really making an effort to build trust on the team. Thank you for making that effort. How can we support you doing this differently next time? But also catching people doing the right things and giving that regular and constant feedback to each other, rewarding each other for the progress, not the perfection. We're not looking for perfection from any of us, but are we making progress and building stronger trust with each other? And when we see that happen, hallelujah. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Rewarding people or acknowledging people when they're doing those things that do build trust and not aiming for perfection because only you and I are perfect. Everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I I included you in this, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, just a regular human being. Human. Human being just human. like everyone else. Yeah. Yep. I've proven that to myself over and over again. <laughs> Ditto. And everybody else around me as well. Oh, yeah. Ditto. So starting back to this question of what do you do when you land as a leader on a team on which you've inherited distrust, starting with you need to have conversations of some kind, and it's going to depend on who the people are, what you understand about those people, what the situation is, what the pressure might be to change quickly versus can we take a little time with this? Can you, you know, bear with us while we address this? But having conversations about what is it, what are the behaviors that we need to change? What are the behaviors that will build trust? What are those that can damage trust? We can use the four domains of trust to really hone in on those behaviors and understanding what our charter is so that we, we know what we're supposed to be doing, so that we can measure our progress in that regard. But we can also measure, in a way, our progress towards becoming a more high-trust team simply by talking about it regularly. How are we doing? And the leader is saying, how am I doing? I need your feedback too. I'm the one who's asking you to trust me and I need your feedback. One way of giving me the feedback is to behave in ways that I was seeing when I first came on the team, but I'd much rather you just tell me, tell me how I'm doing yeah. and tell me if there are ways that I can do things differently. But then, big issue, or big deal, the team leader actually has to listen. Mm -hmm. So if I ask for feedback from the team, ask for things that I can do or ask to be called out when I'm doing something that's not building trust, I have to listen to that and consider doing that or changing my own behavior so that I support trust building. I support other people trusting me. One of the things that sometimes happens is a leader will get some feedback that they don't like and become defensive and cut the team member down who delivered that and then you're done. That's it. Yeah. Now, it may be that you think that making those behavioral changes is impractical, it won't work, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Still, at the very least, not arguing about it, but asking questions. Okay, so what is that? What do you mean by that? What would that look like to you? What's that going to look like for the whole team? Rather than just saying, that's not going to work. Yeah. In some of the client work that I do, it's so funny, and yet I've seen it work over and over and over again in the three plus years that I've worked with this client is pick the one or two behaviors that you really want to focus on. The ones you know are your maybe where you trip up. So I'm thinking of one person in particular says yes to everything. So then that impacts sincerity, reliability, care, depending on the nuance. And so their focus was, I want to be intentional about what I say yes to. Focusing on that one thing over and over and over and over again, a year later has made exponential changes. So we're not asking people to do you know, 87 things differently. What are the small behaviors that you can focus on and support each other on that over time consistently applied 
make an incredible difference. Yeah. Funny that you should mention that because I've seen the same thing in a team I'm working with and an individual who is a big complainer, has had been a big complainer about overwhelm. I'm just, there's too much. And so the behaviors were always late to meetings, mm-hmm. always complaining about how much work, yeah. or you know, talking about how much work she had to do and a couple other behaviors. And so we worked, I worked with her specifically on being able to say no or being what you just said is prioritizing, being mm-hmm. very clear about that. So we worked on prioritizing and then being willing and able to say no to things that she knows are not really things that she needs to be doing. So she would, you know, be jumping into task forces and going to meetings that she couldn't directly affect anything or she didn't have anything. She thought she might have stuff to contribute, but it wasn't that important for her to be there, do that, say that. And suddenly she began to see her her ability to focus on what did matter for her. She had time to do that. She had the bandwidth to do that, the mental and emotional bandwidth to do that. And then her leader and the rest of the team have started noticing that, Mm -hmm. which has helped everybody on the team. I'm giggling a little bit to myself, and maybe we'll talk about this in another episode. (laughs) But that whole concept of saying no, and we did do an episode on it, but yeah, there's so much more here to unpack. I think it can be tied to so many different things. So I think we have really helped our listeners identify or even think about, oh gosh, I've never thought about, but I think I did step into a team where I'm inheriting distrust. And by pointing to and speaking to some of these behaviors, maybe leaders will see, I I hadn't thought of it that way before, but yeah, this could be actually what's happening. And now here's what you can do about it, should you choose to. Yeah. And should you choose not to, the consequences are not necessarily good for anybody. No. Not just for the leader who chooses not to, but for the team and for the company or organization that they're part of. But I have to say, like you said originally, kudos to this particular leader for listening, putting two and two together, recognizing that it was a trust issue that she had inherited and speaking up, trying to figure out, asking for help around what she could do about it. Because that will lead to, I think, real benefit for not only for her, but for the whole company. Yeah. Because her team was a critical part of the company and what it was supposed to be doing was important to the functioning of the company. So with that, why don't we close this session? Thank you all for listening. As we've said before, if you have a question, concern, issue that you would like us to address and spend a little time talking about on your behalf, we would love to hear from you. Please email charles at insightcoaching.com or ila, I-L-A, at bigchangeinc.com. We're always delighted to hear from you. Take care. We'll see you next time.